Let's get ready to rumble! Hello and welcome to Netflix vs. Cinema, the podcast that goes to the cinema every week, sees things, rates them out of five, stays at home and watches things on various streaming platforms, rates them out of five, and then tells you where our money has been better spent this week, and therefore where we think your money might be better spent this week. My name is Tosin, and I am the host, and I am in a place called Bromsgrove, which is in the middle of the United Kingdom, somewhere near Birmingham, and joining me, as always, on the Isle of Wight is Sharon Bolland. Hello. And joining us from London is Holly Neslin. Hi. How are we doing? Marvellous. Thank you. Yes. And now, you know, we have, this week we have one film in cinema, one thing holding it, propping up cinema, because it's been a couple of weeks since we've recorded it, and we've, we have lost Sean to Thailand again, and Sean is usually the one who's like, if it's, if it's a cinema, he'll hoover it up, even though he knows he's going to hate it, like the new Fast and Furious movie, he will probably still hoover it up. And the Fast and Furious movie was one of those films that was on, that was on, uh, possible for us to watch this week, with life and everything at the moment, I can, I can manage about one film a week. So last week, I was hoping I'll go see the Fast and Furious movie and then go see The Little Mermaid this week because that's the film that we saw. And, um, and it, just, it just didn't work. And I, and I found out something very similar to the Fast and Furious franchise has happened, like happened to me with the John Wick franchise, which is after the last one, I am not sure I can be bothered. <laughs> Especially if they're going to make a film that you know is going to be stupid, nonsense, guff, two and a half hours. If they're going to make a film two and a half hours, and not only is this one two and a half hours, this one has always been advertised as the first part of the finale of the oh, Fast and Furious Front. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so two and a half hours for the first part of a finale. And then Vin Diesel comes out and he says, actually, it's going to be the first part of three. We're going to make it a three-part finale. And I'm thinking, I don't think I can be bothered. <laughs> And this is where I know that my film buffery butts up against my old mannery. <laughs> it was bad enough when you end up with things split into two as finales. I mean, last yes. Harry Potter and... And Twilight and yeah. the Divergent series and everything under the sun that tried to make split the final thing into two parts. And I blame Quentin Tarantino for when he splits Kill yeah. Bill into two. And once yeah. people realized that people would still pay for that, they all went crazy. I mean, The Hobbit being three films. Duh. So <laughs> wrong. So wrong. And, yeah, I'll never uh, forgive that. Yeah, no, I, I don't think I can either. I mean, I could handle it when The Hobbit was two films. When they, when they originally said The Hobbit was going to be two films. And I was like, oh, yeah, there's some stuff you can go and get from the appendices and everything like that and do that. Yeah. When they said three films, I was like, that seems a bit much. And watching the films confirmed yeah. the fear that that was a bit much. <laughs> It's like you did not need three films all over three hours, probably, because that's what Peter Jackson does with Middle Earth to tell that story. You just did not need it. And the stuff that they added was not enough, which is similar to something I'll be talking about with Disney. Yeah, I can. Oh, look at me bringing it back to on topic. (laughs) But it's also one of the weird um, one of the weird sort of things about this podcast that. Our London correspondent, who is in the place where all the more esoteric things we show up in cinema, has difficulty getting to the cinema and leaving the house. Isn't that, is that not right, Holly? This is, this is correct, yes. Yes, because there's all these things that I look at and I'm like, ooh, that looks interesting. Where's the show? Oh, okay, in art, only in art house cinemas in London. So yeah. it's and like, Holly made it there. No, she hasn't. Yeah, yeah. Has Holly made it there? No, no, Holly hasn't. For, so, for, uh, just to confirm... 
Uh, Hobbit films are the last one was only two hours and twenty four. The others were uh, both over two forty something. So he oh. managed to stay shy of the three hour mark just. Mm. Oh, thank you, Peter. You oh oh oh, you are so kind to us. But <laughs> all right, so yeah, I was going to say Holly sometimes make, fails to make it to the cinema to see all the esoteric stuff. Sometimes partly through legitimate reasons, and sometimes through wine. So <laughs> occasionally. Occasionally, okay, cool. So tell us, what did you guys see at home that we're bringing that we're bringing forward to go up against the Little Mermaid in cinemas? Well, I have seen a drama on Disney Plus. I thought I'd get in there before they stopped password sharing, and so I have seen a small light <laughs> on Disney Plus. <laughs> Yes, password sharing. We, oh, oh, good. And never mind. Never mind. And, and Holly, you? I have seen Queen Charlotte, uh, a British story on Netflix. Yeah, and, and Netflix are the they're the first to go in the password in the password crackdown. Yeah, so Netflix are the first ones to go in the password crackdown. Although the way that they're doing it is quite is a bit complicated. They're really they're cracking down on people sharing passwords on TVs. So if you have a TV. Uh, like a smart TV that has Netflix on it, they'll crack down on it. But reading the things, it's difficult for them to crack down on on devices. So if you so, it, it's complicated. But essentially, I switched on my Netflix this week because I am the parent. I am the mother. I'm the mothership in it with with my yeah. in my family for the Netflix. So I switched on the Netflix and it says, oh. Netflix password sharing is only for blah 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 blah. We are going to crack down on this. So you have to you have to say that this is this TV is in your household, and then they would say all the other devices that connect to the Wi-Fi in that house are now part of your household. So if someone tries to watch Netflix on another TV somewhere else that's not in your household, they'll be like, oh no, not part of the household. Oh, but you can pay for Netflix if you want. How? But they also say you can still watch it on your devices anywhere. So, as long as a device comes to your house and connects to the Wi-Fi connection in your house, you call it part of your household, and then someone can take that device anywhere and watch Netflix on that device. Because oh, if okay. not, if not, what they're saying is you can only watch Netflix when you're in your house, which is stupid. What so- if you have a multi-license though? If you've got a lot, if you've got like a license for four. Yeah, for four. Yeah, because that's what they did. First of all, they they they, they used to say anybody can use it anytime. They said, "Oh no, you can only do it if you have two devices at the same time." And then you had to go pay more money to so you could pay you could have, see more devices, like four devices at the same time. So I think even if you have four devices at the same time, they're still saying they need to be part of the household. So they so which thank you for reminding me, Holly. I need to reduce my Netflix subscription because there's no need to be paying fifteen pounds a month when only people in the same house can watch it. <laughs> Which is ridiculous because how many times would you have like five people in the same house watching different things on Netflix? I think they're looking at the families, the big families with the people like, you know, if you have if you have a mom, dad and two kids, for instance, or parents, shall we say parents, children, then around about teenage years, then you start getting into that. But the problem is, I feel like it's going to be so diversified because someone's going to be watching Netflix, someone's going to be watching Disney Plus, someone's going to be watching something else. So it's it essentially this is well, I kind of get why they're doing it, even though I might not like it. I get why they're doing it because they need money. And if you look at all almost all of the other major streamers, I know we'll get around to talking about films in a second, but <laughs> every now and then this we is do. Topical. It, it yeah. is topical. Uh, we are called Netflix versus cinema, so it is something that we should talk about. And it's so 
well, I get why they're doing it because if you look at all the other major streamers, so Netflix came up, Netflix were the big streamer. They were the ones who forced everybody else's hand into into the streaming world. So Disney used to have all this stuff on Netflix, and they were like, why, is it, why are we going into them? And then they used to have something called Disney Life, which was a bit meh. And then they upgraded that to Disney Plus, and they put everything on there. And Apple decided to have their own thing, and then Paramount Plus came to the whole thing. And then that, But Netflix are the only one out of all of these ones whose business is just streaming. All these other people have other revenue streams. So Disney will release a film in the cinema. And we know, seeing as they own Star Wars and Marvel and Pixar, they can release three films in the cinema that all make about a billion pounds. So they have an income Mm. Yeah, yeah. And they have all the merch. They have all these income streams coming in. And then they can go just throw it at Disney Plus and do whatever they want with Disney Plus and treat it like a toy, quite frankly. Paramount, I just find going through their back catalog doing a similar thing. Um, HBO has been there for ages. So the the problem that you have now is that Netflix are not finding themselves getting squeezed. So other people can have, they can save money, they can make money and then shove it at the streaming platforms. Netflix is just a streaming platform. So I understand that they're getting to the point where their subscribers are being stolen by other people and they need the money. I can understand why they do that. But there's just a bit of me that doesn't like it. Yeah. <laughs> I have just established that for an extra £5 a month, you can... You can, you can add someone else to your house, to your yeah, household. For a fiver. So for a fiver a month. So that would break, take Netflix up to like 20 quid a month if we're going to stay on the four. It, it, essentially, they want money and they're going to take as much money from you as you're willing to give them. And Unless you've got it with Sky, in which case you're only paying five pounds a month. That's a whole other thing. I don't even need to go. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. I, I, I don't even need to go there. So yeah. it's... It, it's it, it's so it, yeah it, it's crazy because i feel like it's still it's a developing world and it's a developing business model in which they're trying to figure out how do we actually make how, how do we monetize this and how do we make the most amount of money out of this thing and i don't think the end is there because at the moment i feel like all the other streaming platforms that have different revenue streams so like your disney and your apple and all that who don't who can throw a lot of money at their streaming stuff they're just sitting back and waiting to see how this happens because if all of a sudden Netflix subscriber numbers go up because a whole bunch of other people start paying Netflix because they don't want to lose access to Stranger Things or something, then password sharing is going to go across the board. They're going to crack down it across the board and Disney Plus is going to say no and then Apple TV is going to say no. That's what I think. I think I think they're going to they're going to do well, that. Yeah, and on the and, on the other hand, talking about Disney using Disney Plus as a toy. Have you heard that Disney is culling a whole bunch of shows from their streaming platform? Oh? Yeah. Yeah. So Disney released a whole list of shows that they're like, we're taking this off the platform. And these shows have not been released anywhere else but on streaming, which means that essentially Disney is saying these shows will not exist anymore. If you want, if you like this show, sorry, you can't watch it ever again, which is something, which is something that Disney has always done with their DVDs. I remember there was a time they used to, to find have a limited release, didn't they? And then they disappeared. And then they'll go back into the vault. And I remember yeah. trying to find a Beauty and Beast DVD, and you couldn't find one for love of money. The only time you could find one was on was on eBay, and it was fifty pounds for a Beauty and the Beast DVD because Disney would hide things in their vault and only release them at certain times. And I think Netflix, when Netflix started rising, it, they make them panic and they put everything on Disney Plus. But now Disney have gone to the point where they feel like they have the power again. And they're just taking a whole bunch of stuff in. So why the last man has disappeared off Disney Plus? 
Willow, the TV show, has disappeared off Disney+. Plus. Those are two of the high-profile ones, but there is... Oh, there in... was a TV show of Willow. Did I miss they... it? You missed it. It was released about six much. months. It was it was re- re- released about six months ago. Had Warwick Davis back as Willow. Yeah, he was Willow. Yeah, yeah he <laughs> was Willow. Good. Yeah. Yeah, it had Warwick Davis back as, as Willow. Now, but yeah, it's gone. So if you look at Disney Plus, they've they've just removed a whole bunch of stuff, which people and ah uh, oh oh my god, there's so much stuff going on. They think it's really is related to the writers' strike. They think because. Ah, okay. Because the thing that Disney uh, are essentially, I always refer to Disney as like the evil empire conglomerate that that makes all the <laughs> stuff I love, and uh, essentially because at the moment there's a white writer strike going on in in, in America, on the the Writers Guild of America, they're, they're striking because they're saying that they're not being compensated properly for the work that they do. So when things are on streaming, they're not being paid properly with the residuals of the royalties, which means a lot of writers are actually struggling to make ends meet. But the studios don't care and are trying to and see the writers. They, essentially, the studios see the writers having a life as taking their own money. So the studios, I think Disney taking a whole bunch of stuff off streaming means they don't have to pay royalties to the people who worked on these shows. And wow. as long as, yeah, so I think they're, they're, it's almost like a bargaining thing, but That's a bit it's mean. messed up. Yeah, it's messed up and it's annoying. This is when you realize that it is a business and all the horrible, nefarious things that apply to any business apply to all the stuff that we love to watch. It is depressing. I don't like it. And I think it might be time for us just, just to start talking about reviews and about whether the stuff that they make is any good. I missed Willow. <laughs> well, Holly, you can just continue on your high-powered executive trajectory and then maybe one day they'll give you a private screening. I think that's unlikely. <laughs> Maybe one day, you know, you can sit down with Michael Eisner and tell him, I want to see Willow. And then you'll find He'll the vault. Say, okay. Yeah, you find the Disney vault with everything Dick that they've Dickinson. hidden along, especially with all of, what was her name? Uh, ooh, uh, Charles Starr. Her, her father was her father was a uh, Mills, Haley Mills. Um, yeah, yeah, especially with all of Haley Mills' teenage output that they've hidden away somewhere as well. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, I, it, it might be on Disney. Yeah, well, no, it, yeah, I, I don't understand Disney. I really don't understand Disney. I love the stuff that they make, but their business practices, I think, are evil. <laughs> but, Except in their fights in Florida. I'm very supportive of that. Their fights in Florida? Yes. Ongoing battles with, uh, with Ron DeSantis over um, uh, taxes and his dislike of the fact that he sees them as promoting homosexuality new stuff it's a, it's a very entertaining bit of politics where it's hard not to be on disney's side at least because it's so ridiculous and we'll move on because we'll move on, <laughs> we'll move on because i can see myself i can see my, my my i can feel the train of my thought going down that way but let us get on to cinemas and the first thing we're going to talk about this week is the little mermaid talking about disney so the little mermaid is the latest in a long line of things where disney are essentially looking at the back catalogs and saying was it a cartoon that we made yes was it a hit yes we will remake it in live action we will and it's it's almost kind of like it's almost kind of like well, it's not minimum work but it's a lot less work than coming up with something original 
for loads of money because I don't think that there has been one of these that they have made that hasn't made a lot of money. I think the first one they did was Cinderella. They did it with yeah. the Jungle Book. They've done a Peter Pan one. They've done um, they've done the the Lady and the yeah the Lady and the Tramp. They did the Lady and the Tramp. That's on, but that's only on Disney Plus. They Beauty did. They did um, Beauty and the Beast, The Lion Aladdin. King, mm-hmm. Aladdin. Oh yeah, they did Aladdin. So they've been going through all these, and they're going to. They, they have been doing their best to just milk all these things. And a lot of these, so I think Aladdin made a billion dollars, <laughs> which, which when you think about it, and for my money, of all the ones that they have made in the cinema, of the ones that they have made live action or live action in inverted commas, the only one that has really worked and has really justified its existence was The Jungle Book. Because I think that the Jungle Book, the way they did it, it actually added something to the original story. It was a bit better. It was a bit, uh, and now they've come to the Little Mermaid. The Little Mermaid, which is, uh, I was, uh, okay. While I was watching this, I had to, I had to sort of just come to a conclusion. I was like, you know what? I think the Little Mermaid has pound for pound the best song book of any Disney movie, because the four films, like the four songs, I can think of were Part of Your World. Um, poor unfortunate souls under the sea and kiss the girl all of them bangers all of them died in the wall bangers and i was like okay great great I song one of those. oh all right but it's and and so they, they've done this and they've they and in this in typical disney fashion the story hasn't really changed they've just added faff to it they've added fluff to it they've added it out and they, they there's and the first half an hour 45 minutes of this film i was just sitting there going okay cool and i just kept going what is the point what is the point <laughs> why did you do this what is the point the good things about it though on the, the headline grabbing thing was that they cast Haley bailey who is a who is a black um uh music um, black musician as ariel so they have they have a black ariel because obviously when you look through the when you look through the disney's pack catalog there is not much of diversity in there so they cast it in there, and obviously there was a big, massive uproar, and the people who are using the hashtag "Not My Ariel" on on Twitter and everything like that, and saying, "How dare you? This is not showing any respect to the original story and everything." And I was like, "Look, Disney never paid respect. And never mind. Never mind. We're not going to get into that." So Haley Bailey is good. Haley Bailey in the film is good. That is, this is not, that's not the problem of the film. One of the big problems I think is that when Disney are making live action versions of these things. They need to lean into the fact that what they are making is a live action cartoon. That's what they're making, a live action cartoon, and they need to stop trying to go for the realism. Because Flounder in the original, Flounder is this cute little yellow thing. Yeah, I know. Holly has a heart on Holly has a hand on her heart now because just thinking about Flounder, Flounder is the cutest thing in the original. Now they just made Flounder a fish, a weird looking fish that talks. <laughs> and as such, Flounder isn't cute. Flounder's a fish. And Sebastian is a crab. As Sebastian in the original, I always I always used to go, he's a crab. He looked more like a lobster, if you ask me. Yeah. He, he looked more like a lobster, but because of that, because they had these things, they could make them cute, they could make them expressive. They could make, but now this is a fish. When was the last time you saw a fish express anything? Yeah. Fish don't have expressions. Apart from when they're spawning their eggs. I saw I saw a sort of David Attenborough style documentary. It's actually quite funny. But never, never mind. Sharks, sharks sometimes have expressions. Yeah, yeah, but but and that and so there's the, Flounder. I assume is not suddenly a shark. Flounder is not a shark. Flounder is not a shark. Sebastian looks more like a crab, and there's things that they do. Like you have Davy Diggs, who's doing the voice of Sebastian this time round, and. I don't know if... Okay, Sharon, I know it's animation, so you don't care. 
But Holly, <laughs> you know the original Little Mermaid. And there's some line delivery. There's some line delivery in Little Mermaid that for me is perfect. It is boom. That's it. You don't even go near that. And because I know Little Mermaid that well, I kept waiting for the line delivery for, of lines like, Ariel, Ariel. <sighs> somebody ought to nail that girl's fills to the floor. <laughs> or somebody ought to nail that girl's fins to the floor. And waiting for the line delivery of that. And when they do it in the film, you're like, yeah, no, wrong, wrong, wrong intonation and all that. And, and for the first bit of the film, Sebastian, he's like an exposition machine. And they have him just sort of always scuttling along and just talking to himself and everything. And they're adding all these ad libs and stuff that don't work, which you can see that somebody thought was funny. They're not funny. Thankfully, the film improves when they get out of the water. Because if anybody knows the story of the Little Mermaid, she makes a deal with the sea witch. And in this one, because oh, I think I, I think I'm going to blame Fast and Furious for this. They have to apparently in any film they have, everybody has to be released to everybody. So Ursula is no longer just a sea witch. Ursula is actually King Triton's older sister. <laughs> oh, and and so she's sister. And there's a, there's a there's a family thing going in there that it doesn't. I'm like, why do you have to put that in there? That doesn't do anything to the story. So she makes a deal with the sea witch so that she can go on onto the land and she can actually she, she can have legs, legs and she can have a chance of meeting this guy who she's fallen in love with when she shaved, saved him from a shipwreck. and But she loses her voice. You know, that sort of stuff. When they get out of the water, the film improves. Because when they're in the water, everything is just, this is not as good. This is not as good as the cartoon. The fish look weird. They don't emote. Why is there a shark in there? It's like you just you just flew in a scene from Finding Nemo and plunked it in a Little Mermaid. That doesn't add anything to it. The, oh, and the oh, the big musical number, the Holly, what's the big musical number in the Little Mermaid? Oh, it's part of your world, probably. Oh, or under the sea. Under yeah, under the sea. Yeah, under the sea. I think part of your world is yeah, yeah, it's good. But under the sea is the yeah, big. That's the, is that the, that big is the first one. thing that comes to yeah. mind. Is that's the one and, someone like me would know because. I yes. don't know anything about it. Yes. And, I know and that be, one. Yeah, and because... And it's joyous. It is joyous. That is the thing. It is joyous. The same way, like, the Just Can't, just can't Wait to Be King in The Lion King. Yeah. Joyous. Same yeah. problem with The Lion King live-action remake. These animals are not that expressive. Therefore, the joy gets leached out of that number. And it just seems like by the book, run... It's like, animal, run here. Animal, go there. Animal, do this. Animal, do that. And under the sea in this is stripped of its joy is stripped of its color is stripped of its acrobatics because they used to have these things like a sort of almost like a bubsy berkeley kind of thing with like yeah. it's stripped of it all and ugh. but anyway so i was happy when they got out of the water when they got out of the water things got better and then you could see that some of the things they added like they've made the island very very obviously a caribbean island which makes all of a sudden it makes sebastian's accent make a heck of a lot more sense <laughs> so like, so they, they've made the, the the and there's bits out of the water that make that i think oh they fleshed out a little bit there that works a little bit even though they have this weird thing where the prince is white the queen is black and they have this whole thing about the prince being adopted by the queen but even though there is a caribbean accent the queen speaks with an english accent it, 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 it it's all messed up okay it's all messed up <laughs> it's all messed up it's not consistent and but when they get out of the water, it, it gets a little bit better. There's some good things in it, like I would say, um, uh, Aquafina shows up as the voice of Scuttle. That's cool. They change one line in the song "Kiss the Girl," which when I heard it, I was like, "How hey, you change that line?" And I thought about it, and I was like, "Actually, that was a very good idea that you changed that line." <laughs> oh, one of those. <laughs> yeah, 
I was like, I never thought about it beforehand, but yeah, there are some issues, especially now that we all know about consent and stuff. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> it's a lot better. It's it's a good idea you change that line. So so all in all, I don't think I can give this more than a three out of four. There's some things that they do where they try and make it a bit more. They try and make it a like obviously with everything now they try and make make it a bit more um of there's a bit more of a feminist bent and they try and give like you know the female characters a bit more agency in it the way the film ends there's something they do at the end which i kind of saw coming i was like they're going to change that they're going to change that sure enough they changed it to sort of like give ariel more of a hero moment and it's but overall my feeling was why (laughs) why did you even do this why did you even i think the only things that my good that my girlfriend is that it might bring Haley bailey to a wider audience and i think she deserves to do more because she is really good in it she does the best of what she's done especially when ariel loses her voice when ariel loses her voice i think she's actually very very good because those scenes could just could have fallen on their face and sharon if you've seen nothing of this film i would like you to see there's, they, they write a new song and they give Prince Eric because Prince Eric never had a song in the original they give Prince Eric his own solo we know musicals we like musicals you know how there's a way to stage a musical or a musical number where there's just one person on screen yeah. the staging of Prince Eric's song is so lazy it is so <laughs> so incredibly lazy that it dips into parody it it straight up dips into parody. You're kind of like, oh, is that what you're gonna do? Oh, you're gonna run there. You're gonna run to a. You're gonna run to a rock. Okay, now you're gonna run down the road. Now you're gonna. Oh, now you're on a boat. <laughs> and if you've ever seen the Lonely Island, the Lonely Island have a song with Michael Bolton because Lonely Island do parody songs, and they have a song with Michael Bolton called Jack Sparrow, where and there are shots in Prince Eric's number that seem to be taken straight from this number about Jack Sparrow but seem to have forgotten that that was a parody of, of lazily done musical numbers. And it's so lazy. It's, it's, oh, it's, oh my God. Like, and, and, and I don't even remember the song. I don't even, it's not like a Beauty and the Beast when they gave um, the Beast the song Evermore. Remember, you, that song stayed with you when you left the, when you, as you left the cinema. Yeah. But it it's, stayed uh, with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's oh, but anyway, anyway. Oh, let me they see. Could have I, gone with, they could have gone more Hans Christian Andersen if they'd wanted, which is thoroughly depressing. They, you see, the thing is, yeah. you know, they they could have gone that way if they wanted to go for the realistic thing. Like, I still think that there there is an interesting film to be made about the Lion King, where they make it like a David Attenborough documentary, where you have the story of the Lion King, but it's narrated by David Attenborough as yes. him narrating the story, while you have all these photorealistic lions doing, because the best thing about the Lion King was the effects and how they nailed yes. lions to look real. And I think that that would have been a much more interesting take on the live action thing. The difference being that, of course, it's not, it would not have made a billion pounds because there would have been no be prepared or no just coming to be king or no... <laughs> or well, no I suppose so- you could just turn off all of the music that's there and then just to David Attenborough over the top say you, why you, why we don't know why these hyenas are doing this this doesn't make any kind of sense <laughs> hyenas never do this hyenas and lions don't actually exist yeah. in the same player <laughs> you could do that I mean a David Attenborough docu- uh, commentary on the Lion King I would love to see yeah so there so, must yeah. be somebody who can do a good impression of him who could do a voiceover of it there's loads of people out there who can do that I agree yeah and so yeah and there's there's just weird things and I think this film is this film, the original film is about 89 minutes. This film is two hours and 15 minutes. Wowzers. 
Yes, and I think a lot of that is because they keep holding shots for a long time, and then it's almost like they go, hmm, this is not an interesting shot. What are we going to do? We're going to put a sweeping camera move into the shot. Yes, and that, yeah. It's like, no, it doesn't make it any more interesting. You're just wasting more time. So at most, I can give it a three out of five. And they take the backing singers out of a whole bunch of the songs. Under the Sea only had, the only people to you hear is, you hear Sebastian, you hear Ariel. And nobody else. And I'm like, why? Why do you do that? And there's this whole bit in the middle of Under the Sea where um, Sebastian's going like, the bass play, the cop, the da, 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 which in the original is brilliant and is fun. And, and this one is just kind of... <laughs> Uh, three out of five three out of five i will stop now they managed to save uh, it towards the end it's they there there is one new song so i know i said i'll stop but oh my god <laughs> there's, stop, stop, stop. There, there's one new song called scuttlebutt and it's a good song it is obviously obviously lin-manuel miranda if you get what i mean because mm. this is this song comes across like a, a like a song that was cut out of hamilton <laughs> It was so. It's a good song, but it sticks out like a sore thumb, thumb when compared to all the other songs in the in the thing. And you can be like, you can be like, okay, this is where they let they let Lil Miranda loose on this and said you can do what you want with that song. Um, but yeah, and he did what he always does, which is wonderful. But it is, it is, it is wonderful. Very but... identifiable as Lin Manuel Miranda. Yeah, and I wonder it whether it's, it. I wonder whether it's getting to the point where it's actually becoming too much. It's becoming a trope and it's becoming a bit of a parody. Because yeah, oh, there's a there's a musical with Lin Miranda. Oh, there's going to be one song that's going to be rap sung. <laughs> but yeah, it's anyway. Anyway, three out of five. Move on, move on. Tosin, just stop talking. And now, quickly, Holly, save us all. Save us all from Tosin banging on about the Little Mermaid and talk to us about Queen Charlotte's adventure okay. story. Okay, so it helps in approaching Queen Charlotte to have seen Bridgerton and the nonsense therein. I would like to think that most people who've seen Bridgerton appreciate that it's absolute twaddle. Enjoyable twaddle. Um, but, you know, it's it's sort of, in, it's intellectual hot chocolate with marshmallows. Uh, and that's just fine. It, for, oh, that's a really, really, really good description because Netflix have said themselves that that is what they are trying to aim for. They're trying to, what the, the words they use, the way they, the words they use that they, they're aiming for a gourmet hamburger. That they want, they want to make their shows to be a gourmet handbook and intellectual hot chocolate with marshmallows. I would, I would put in that sort of yeah, thing. I think that's because it's not a gourmet hamburger. They're absolutely not producing gourmet hamburgers. That would have a bit more substance, and that's fine because you're not watching it for profundity or you know great commentary on anything in particular. But they're fun watches, and I know that Sharon struggled with this one. Um, I'd seen the other two Bridgerton ones. And I watched two episodes of this one before I just gave up. That's it. I, I, I haven't completely given up because I mean, it's still on my. Do you want to continue watching? Um, so <laughs> it's and you haven't there. said expletive off yet. Yeah. 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 Do you want to continue watching while we're still letting you have this password? For <laughs> the time being, it's, so it's it's a prequel to Bridgerton and is the backstory to Queen Charlotte, who is a not is, is a significant rather than main character in Bridgerton. She was the wife of George III. She was from a minor German um, uh, uh, duchy, um, Mecklenburg's, uh, Mecklenburg Strelitz. Um, she's broadly speaking, you know, was, was apparently a very nice person. Mm. 
and the series goes back to the, the early days of their, their marriage, a young, a young Charlotte meeting a young George. And everybody presumably knows that, you know, George III was frequently referred to as, as Mad King George, and he had no, undoubted mental health issues, and nobody frequently thought nowadays to be bipolar disorder, which I can personally sympathise with a great deal, so, which makes all of these things quite interesting from a purely personal perspective. Mm. Um, it's, um, yes, it begins with a young Charlotte arriving uh in england and to marry somebody she's never met and she is quite sort of feisty and opinionated and knows her own mind and isn't sure about this whole arranged marriage lark and it's the the later bridgerton films have, have received all sorts of commentary for the fact that they have a diverse cast and everybody says oh well England wasn't like that. Everybody was one. <laughs> not my Bridgerton. Hashtag yeah. not my Bridgerton. Exactly, which is not actually absolutely Not my correct. Duke. <laughs> um, this deals with the sort of backstory as to how um, how Bridgerton is diverse because this great experiment is started um, where, you know, Charlotte is black and therefore they try to create a slightly more integrated court to see sort of what happens. Mm. And there is some um, potential veracity to some of that because there's a, a reasonable argument that Queen Charlotte was actually mixed race, um, which and it's quite well documented. And it's one of the things they use is if you look at some of the portraits of her and her features, they they don't look, you know, dreadfully Caucasian for yeah. want of a better description. Um, so it actually it has a bit more potential uh, truth to it than than the people who get very angry about Bridgerton not being all white would probably like. Um, there are a whole load of other bits about how the British monarchy aren't actually, you know, all white, but, you know, we could talk about that for hours. I find it fascinating. Uh, so it gives you the sort of background love story between Charlotte and George, and it was it well you know, thought to have been a very loving marriage and they had 15 children or something. It was it was an excessive Ooh. number, um, but were, you know, happy apart from, you know, him having periods of uh, losing his marbles and their, um, you know, and their son having to be Prince Regent, which has been, you know, well documented all over the place in many other films and TV series, Blackadder being an excellent, <laughs> excellent example. Um, so it's that it brings in some of the earlier some of the characters from Bridgerton and the sort of younger versions of them. You see how you un understand how they evolve to be the characters. They well, they, they, they've got to have Lady Danbury is in there. Yes. Some, they've, yeah. they've got to have Lady Danbury, and yeah. she is indeed there. Who who is probably the best character in Bridgerton? Quite and <laughs> she and um, and Queen Charlotte are right up there together in. Queen Charlotte. They are yeah. they are both uh, you know forces to be reckoned, and she's a key character in it. So it's it's um it really run it runs through some yeah jumping forward and backward in time a bit to where you are around Bridgerton days and then where where things were at the beginning. It's got um oh I can't think what the the mother in from Bridgerton is in it. She has a name I can't remember. I didn't. Oh, 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 the character name or the real actress? Character I'll go name. with both, actually. 
Um, Lady Bridgerton. Yes. But yeah, the mother. <laughs> Lady the mother. Bridgerton, yeah. Lady Bridgerton will do. Um, it's it's nonsense. It is not historically accurate. Well, it's not historically totally inaccurate, but it's a, a good bit of it is just rubbish. But it, it rubbish fluff. It is intellectual hot chocolate with marshmallows, but it's also thoroughly watchable. Um, and I actually enjoyed watching it, but I struggled with the first couple of episodes as well. It was only that I didn't have anything better to do with my time and didn't feel at that moment in time that I wanted to watch the newsroom for the 50th time. I wanted that again <laughs> at the moment, obviously. So it's, you know, I've only seen it once this year. Um, yeah, watchable, nonsensical, bit foolish, pretty much what you'd expect from something associated with Bridgerton will be particularly entertaining because it's going to wind a lot of people up who think that it's absolutely dreadful that it's not all very very white and that'll keep me amused for quite some time um so it gets extra points from me just for the fact it's going to annoy racists <laughs> so so how many stars would you give it? I'm, I'm going to give it a three as well because it probably only really deserves a two but for annoying racists i'm going to bump it up to three well, is we, it a... we still recommend watching it. Just I, don't expect I, it to be good. I must admit, I didn't like it. I watched just I didn't like it. I must admit, I do. I don't think it was for racist reasons, but I must admit, I was a bit uncomfortable with some of the the aspects of it, with the whole um, elevating members of the pit to the peerage just to you know, sort of make Charlotte yeah. less obvious. I thought there's, there's a basic misunderstanding of how the peerage works, which I thought. This doesn't make any sense to me. This is not how people get elevated to it. And so I, I've got a bit cross with that because I'm thinking this is a basic lack of understanding about anything apart about British history. So I don't care about what actors they play or what colours they are, but I thought they don't understand our history at all. No. Because <laughs> there's some basic things I'm thinking, but that's not how people are made here. <laughs> yeah. That's what got, I was by that bugged me a bit. And I'm thinking, I understand how they're trying to create a backstory for this this world because it's not our world it's not the regency no, it no, is no, a it fictionized world so don't get cross about it because it's it's not history it's the version of, it's you know their fairy tale version it might as well be the mcu yeah because it's just not real but i just thought but i thought in some ways though they're selling it as like actually you know there is a i don't like it was uncomfortable with the, some of the aspects they say selling it as like well actually we do believe that she was mixed race when what i've read about queen charlotte was that she may have had some North African ancestry, but it was sort of like four or five generations yeah. before this. Yeah, so not, not, you know. Having um, one sort of North African ancestor started five, six generations ago is not going to, you know, make you look that, you know, ethnically diverse to everyone else around you, really. Um, but anyway, so I just thought, I don't think it's for racist reasons, but I just thought, I just find it a little bit tiresome I, sometimes. I think, yeah. I think, I, I, I think I know what you're talking about. And I think it comes down to the fact that this show is primarily made for Americans. Yeah. And, and so, and when Americans make stuff about Britain and they make stuff about, there, there is, there is sometimes a kind of thing of, okay, yeah, this is the starting point, but this is our play box and we're going to do whatever the hell we want with it. Yeah. <laughs> and then they, they try and use the, and, and I obviously, because, well, I guess technically speaking, I'm British, but I'm Nigerian. Uh, so technically speaking, I'm British. So I have this whole thing where it's a similar thing when they go and they do something in Africa and I'm like, what the hell? Get it right. 
Dick. <laughs> Dick. And they just, and they just, they just seem to. But it seems like they go, oh no, 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 no. This is what we're gonna. And it's gonna be a play box, and we can do whatever the hell we want with it. And they will use the stuff in Africa, and we use all that kind of stuff to, or in Britain, to talk about problems that we have in America. And I, and and I think that that's that's the, the so they are trying to address other issues using this idea that they've heard of of peerage, and they go, oh, what if it was like this? But the problem is that there's no. Well, the problem it was not, but also going to, to to Sharon's point that there's going to be a lot of Americans who think that that is actually what happened, <laughs> and there's going to there's going to be a lot of people who don't get it. It's kind of like, we yeah. were talking about if we're talking about King George, there is the the fact that you know the film of the madness of King George the Third, yeah, that started Nigel Hawthorne back in the day, and when they took it to America, they had to change it, change the title to Madness of King George because they thought that most people in America would think it was a sequel and wouldn't go and watch it because they hadn't seen the first two, yeah. It's and it, yeah, and it, and it's things like that. It's things like that where I think um, America might have moved along a bit, but still there is this kind of thing where they see something on TV and they just sort of think, oh yeah, that's. It happens in a lot of places, but I think especially when it's historical, they they're going to think that that's what it was. They're going to yeah. think that that's what happened. Yeah, and I think. No, not for that reason. Why I don't hate it, but I was part of me thinking, this is a basic lack of understanding of how the court works, how society, how Britain works. <laughs> you just don't get it. If it had made it so that it. Because when I watched Bridgerton, you know, I always like, made my own backstory up as like to how they had like this racially diverse populace. And I was thinking, well, it is conceivable that someone could have been made an, a peer during like um, with Lord Marlborough, with one of those campaigns when people are made dukes and earls because of they, you know, they they service the country or something. I thought, yeah, you can understand that someone would have been elevated then, and then their, their their children would have been like dukes and would have been earls because they would have got that peerage back in time so I had created a backstory so when they did this I was like no it's not the story I had made up in my head that made sense is it, is it, is it, that's, the, the thing the thing is like, with, with me with with whenever you have whenever you have like a costume drama that is cast with a with a more diverse r- racial cast uh, I don't even think you need to go into it <laughs> I don't think you need to go. It I, for me, I I I am happy to accept that it's a story about Britain then, told about what Britain looks like now. Yeah. I'm happy that which is the same thing that they said with Hamilton. It's like a story about American then, told by what America looks like now. I am happy with that. And don't try. And I know that there was one line in in the first season of Bridgerton when they went something about, oh, you don't know what the Queen has done for the people like for people who look like us. And Lady Danbury says that to the Duke in the first season of Britain. I was like, oh, okay. And then they left it. And I thought, okay, maybe that's it. It now seems to see that they've not tried to go a bit more and do almost like a sort of what if history. And and it's, and when you do that, I think you need to be very careful. Everything needs to be very clear at every step of the way, how you're building this world. Because if not, something you say in chapter one will come back to bite you by chapter 12 because it isn't consistent. And it's very, very difficult to do that, which is one of the big problems I had with Knots and Crosses, which is never, I never finished watching that show. That show, the internal logic of that world that they built makes no sense to me. I read if, the first book, but I didn't get as far as watching the show. Never. No, I, 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 I mean, I, I think it's, it's one of those things where you look like, okay, this seems to be, it seems like they're being, it seems like a worthy thing. Like what if, what if Africa had taken over Europe as opposed to the other way around? Yeah. It seems like a, like you're making a worthy thing, but it seems like you thought you thought this is worthy and you stopped at that point. The rest of the world doesn't make sense. 
Why is it that the Africans took over Europe and the Africans speak with cut glass English accents? Makes no sense. But, so when you start going into that, it, it, it does start, it starts causing issues. Um, so I am happier with them just sort of going, look, we're going to cast people who do not look like yeah. the people would have looked you like back then. You don't need to explain it or justify yeah. it or make yeah. up a history for yeah. it. It just is. So <laughs> when they, that's what, what I think was my stumbling block with Queen Charlotte was, I was thinking, you're creating this, you're justifying your choices by creating this sort of mythology around it. And I but don't think that's necessary. It. So I'd yeah. rather, I don't think the story about Charlotte and George was, I thought, I probably would watch that, but I thought, no, you keep going on about, you know, this made-up stuff. <laughs> they The, the made-up stuff predominantly becomes less anything right. after a while. Yeah, and, it, and that is part of the playbook. Well, I mean, obviously, it's all made yeah. up, but, yeah. you know. It, it, yeah. it, it's, it's part of the playbook that they do. Like they, And I know, obviously, Shonda Rhimes, who, uh, who's created this show, she is big on representation. She is big, and, and it's probably, probably comes from her own experience about yeah. being a black woman who has finally somehow become successful in a extremely in a field dominated by white men, and so a lot of that probably inf informs everything that she does. But there are some times where, and, and I think she sort of puts it in and just goes, "I'm just going to leak this here." Okay, okay, okay. Now we're going to carry on with the rest of the story. And they did that in Bridgerton the first, but it's anyway. So how many stars for Queen Charlotte? It's a three. As I say, it's a, it gets the extra one because it's going to. It, it's not going to. It's going to wind up the racist for saying why are there black people? Um, not why is it nonsense, but you know, angry, angry racists. Uh, yeah, well, we can make a show that shows you exactly what white people were doing to black people in that time, but you're not going to like that one either. So, <laughs> absolutely. So, so it has led to angry people on Twitter being angry about, back to being angry about the Anne Boleyn series where Anne Boleyn was black. Play, so, oh yeah. So it's play, nice play to like let, let people get worked up about that one again because you know. Jordan Turner Smith is amazing. Is it? But uh, okay, yeah, I but, really uh, want to see that. Actually, I haven't watched it yet. I think I think it was on Channel Five. I think it was Channel Five. Oh. But okay, okay let, let's let's run away. Let's run away from this. Let's run away from the racists. Yes. <laughs> run away from, like you just said, like it's led to people on Twitter being angry. I'm like, oh, shock, horror. People on Twitter are angry. <laughs> anyway, so we'll go over to a small light. Sharon, tell us about a small light. One of the shows that I don't think is being removed by Disney Plus just yet. <laughs> Well, this is quite a complete contrast to the other things we've talked about. Um, it is a, it's on Disney Plus, but it's apparently by National Geographic. National Geographic, a, yeah. Who I didn't know they did drama, but this is like a, a, a drama based on true events that they've they've sort of embellished a bit, I think. And basically, it's the story of Meet Geese. And now, Meet Geese, if you don't know the name, was a Austrian Dutch woman who helped the Frank family hide during the Second World War in Amsterdam. And we, most of us have heard of Anne Frank and mm. her diary. And yep. this is a story of basically the events around that. So it's not about Anne Frank, it's about Meep and how she came to be in the position where she actually hid this family for two and a half years. And so you start off just before the war when she's in, um, she was adopted by a Dutch family. She was an Austrian girl whose mother was a single mother who couldn't look after her. She was starving to death. And at that time in the 20s, when there was a huge depression across the world, 
um, a lot of Dutch families opened their homes to Austrian and German children. And she was adopted by a Dutch family along with another little German boy and was raised as a Dutch woman. And she has lived, so you see at the beginning of the story in the early 30s, she gets a job in a factory. Her parents say, it's time you've you found, you either get married or you get a job. And she gets a job in a factory with, which is owned by a man called Otto Frank. And he is a German who fled Germany in the early 30s when they started um, restricting the liberties of Jewish people in Germany. And he moved to his family to the Netherlands because it was thought to be a safe place for the Jews to go. So he has moved with his wife and his two children. Um, his wife, I think her name is Edith, or it might be Ethel, but I think it's Edith, and their <laughs> two daughters, Anne and Margot. And they live a prosperous sort of middle class, while he has runs a, a sexual factory, um, selling pectin, which is the, the jalling agent for jam. So that's okay. what the factory is, they sell pectin. <laughs> and so this young woman, Meepke, she goes to work for them. And becomes very close to the family. She becomes friends with the family, the girls. She sees them grow up. And um, and before the war, she you see her get married because because she still has a technically a German passport because Austria was annexed by Germany in the 30s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's told, you know, you either have to marry a Dutchman or you have to go back to Germany. And so she um, actually marries her boyfriend who, uh, and then the two of them become a yeah, huge great friends with the, the Frank family. Then as the war starts, um, nothing much changes in Amsterdam other than a few more restrictions. Um, but then the Germans invade and it becomes clear that the restrictions that were placed on the Jews in Germany are going to be have to be placed on the Jews in the Netherlands. Yeah. And Otto decides to say, he says to me, you know, we either have to leave or we have to go to hiding. And at that time, uh, before the war, um, Jewish families were allowed to apply to go overseas if they were sponsored by someone. And the Frank family was sponsored by his brother in America, but their visas were denied by the the German yeah. over, you know, bows at being. So he said, I don't I think we have to hide. And so Meep and the two the three other people who work in the fact there's four of them all together who work in this factory, the non Jewish staff basically create there's a there's a the, the factory is built on several levels and there's like a hidden annex and they create they make a flat in this annex and basically the frank family move in there and then later another family who can't get out they move in there as well so there's the four franks and there's three van wick family and then another man joins them um as their dentist and so you have these eight people suddenly living in this annex yeah and meet and the members of staff the two men and the woman who worked there as well they basically go shopping every day and they go to a different shop every day and buy no more than one bag full of shopping and bring it to them. They have made arrangements with a local baker, blah, blah, blah. blah. Anyway, they supply and they support them for this two and a half years. Mm. Uh, and it becomes something of almost like an open secret that people suspect that they might be hiding Jews, but they don't know for sure. But a lot of people nearby suspect that there might be a family there. And you see basically this whole story. We only see what Meep sees. So we yes. don't, if she's not there, we don't know what happens. So we don't know what happens. We don't see Anne writing her diary. We don't see Margot writing in her diary unless she's present when these things happen. Yeah. So we see the, the story played out outside of the annex, basically, and what life is like in Amsterdam 
and how Meek and her husband get involved in the resistance. Yeah. Hiding hiding Jewish children, getting them adopted, um, doing small things and to help the thing. And then as we know the story of Anne Frank, they they are betrayed and informed upon and they're raided and all of the people in the annex are arrested and all of the people who are working in the factory are arrested as well. Meep is arrested, but her the German soldier who arrests her is Austrian. And she says, oh, are you from Vienna? Because, you know, I'm from Vienna, but I'm married to Dutchman. And he starts talking and he says, even though you've harboured a Jew, I'm going to leave the room and I'm going to basically let you go. Yeah. And so that's the only reason why she's not in prison. But the others are in prison and mm. sent to work camps as well as the, the Frank family and the Van Wicks and the, the dentist, Dieter, I can't remember his name, I'm sorry. Uh, but... Yes, yeah, so they are arrested. And then we know that after, um, before the, the annex, because what happened when the Jews were arrested in Amsterdam is the Germans, the Nazi party, basically, the National Socialist Party, um, would move in and they would strip their property. They would strip the flats. They take all their property, all their belongings, everything, books, jewellery, clothing, shoes, pictures on the wall. They would literally empty the flat out. And so before the, the people moved in to strip the annex, um, Meep and her husband and other people literally ran in there and gathered up as much as they could to save. And one of the items they found was Anne's diary and her notes and her sketches. And they never, they never found Margot's diary, but they did manage to, to get Anne's diary. And then she kept that diary for two years throughout the rest of the war until... Um, it was, you know, till the, the only person to survive was Otto Frank, and he yeah. came back. And they, when it was confirmed that the girls had died, um, he, she then said, "Well, I was going to save, I was saving this for Anne, but as you've come back, and Anne, we know now that Anne has died. Here's her diary." And so she then Mitski kept it safe, and she gave it to Otto Frank, and then he decided in 1947, I believe, that it was too valuable not to share with the world. And yeah. therefore, we have the diary of Anne Frank. So it's the story, yes, yeah, seen through this lady's eyes. That, and then the meaning of the story is that a small light in a dark room can sort of give you know, great comfort. There's a, there's a, there's a quote that is quite moving, but I can't remember exactly. Yeah. The, it, the, so the, about, mean, the meaning of the title. Yeah, a small light. So, so could I just check? Have you just told us the entire the story of the entire series? Yeah. <laughs> 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 but, 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 I'm guessing, but I guess as far as you're concerned it's history, most people know this anyway Yeah. yeah. if you don't know the story of Anne Frank then I don't think you'd have any interest in watching this programme alright, all so so who do you think it's made for? because I have to admit um, when I saw this and I was like, okay, it's interesting it's got, it's got Bel Pauli, who I love I think Bel Pauli's a brilliant yeah. actress Lee Schreiber is also Lee Schreiber, yeah, yeah he's, he's, he's in there as well I think these are all Joe good Cole, people. Joe Cole, who was from Peaky Blinders, yeah. Yeah, so, Joe Cole, Peaky Blinders, Gangs of London. And these are all people who I love, all people who I think who, who, are, who are good. Who are, but um, I was actually thinking about, um, why would I watch this? <laughs> it's, yeah, so... so um, yeah, I, would you address that? Like, Why did you watch it? It's one of those things, you, you know how it ends. It's almost like, I always think of like Romeo and Juliet. You know how it ends on the very first page. Yeah. So why would you still watch it? And I think it's that compelling of the there's there's a certain 
the truth has a certain power to it. And I think the, the, to save, I think, and some stories deserve to be told and deserve to not be forgotten. And mm-hmm. I think the story of Anne Frank and the and people like me, these who were resisting the sort of the National Socialists, I think they they deserve to be remembered, and I think that they they should not be forgotten. And so for me, this story was reminding me of the tragedy of what happened to many many people in Amsterdam. And if you're a Christian, I think most people know most non-Christians know the name Anne Frank, and nearly every Christian will know the name Corrie Ten Boom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Corrie Ten Boom from the hiding yeah. place. And so they sort of went, they live in the same city, <laughs> and their stories were similar in the fact that you know it's that the Corrie Ten Boom hid Jewish families, and she and her sister were arrested, and her father was arrested, and yeah. her sister and her father died in captivity, and when she was released, and she went on to tell her story. Um, so it's a different story, but I think, I just think they shouldn't be shouldn't be forgotten. But I found it compelling in, as a drama, and the fact that it is there is drama to it because these are like real people's lives. But I think we write fiction to capture real emotion, and then so this is this is real because it it actually happened. You don't have to make stuff up because you know the yeah. well, truth is as powerful as anything that can be imagined, and yeah. it can be. And there's more horror in truth than assumptions that can be imagined. If you'd told someone who's never heard of the Holocaust or the lots of events of the Second World War. If you told them about it, I don't know that they would always believe you. Yeah. And so I think in some ways you have to be reminded that this actually did happen in yeah. Europe, in, you know, just across the sea from where we are now, uh, and to not to people who live living in ordinary lives. And these things... Uh, and, and when you look at the world, when you look at world, com- um, world situations nowadays, you look at the fact that it might be going to so many years, 80 years or anything like that, but it doesn't, that doesn't mean it's not going to happen again. Yeah. Because it's there's very there's arguably people trying to do something very similar now. Yeah. So and it's one small one one sort of woman who was not you know she wasn't wealthy she wasn't powerful she wasn't an intellectual she wasn't she was nothing but someone who worked in an office. But she was able was what her small act of courage by just saying yes I'll hide you and then yes I'll keep this diary safe. You know has left eighty and legacy that's lasted eighty years. Mm. And that you know we still have Anne Frank Dara because of what she did. Well, yeah, I guess that, that I guess that's the point. The fact is that there might be people who might not have known it, even though the story has been told again and again and again. There, it's worth always remembering because there might be people who don't know it. And yeah, yeah, or yeah. who maybe believe. So, some people say, "Oh, it didn't really happen." It's like because you do hear people denying that these things happen. Well, humans humans can deny anything. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and, uh, one of the things I've thought is that humans can lie about anything and they can deny anything. So it's... yeah, and I think again, with, and again, I've always gone on banged on about this. I won't bang on about it too much, but sort of personal history. One of my uncles was in, at D Day Plus, moved across Europe into the Low Countries, into the Netherlands, and he saw concentration camps. He he was one of the when the British Army when they went went through into. Um, the Netherlands and into Germany, they were the ones who liberated a lot of these places, like Bergen-Belsen, which is where my uncle saw. And mm. well, like, you know, what was left of Ravensbrück and Auschwitz and all these other, you know, these places that have got, and they, we know in, as, as infamous and ghastly places. But, you know, these were ordinary, an ordinary man from the Isle of Wight walked in and saw that horror. Yeah. <laughs> and we shouldn't forget that either. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, we should, yeah, this just, I think it, it's worth remembering and it's worth, but it's, there's humour in this drama. Uh, there's there's compassion in it. There's a love story. Um, it's much funnier than you expect. It's for a serious subject matter. It's it's handled with a light touch. So 
so it's serious when it needs to be serious but there's there's moments of joy and there's moments of humor as you would expect these are not they're not made into plaster saints you can see how Anne could was was joyful naughty funny and a teenage girl who didn't always mm. get on with her mum <laughs> <laughs> and her, her other sister was like timid and you know not lacked courage but you know she needed to she was not as bold and brave and as bold she as Anne, but yeah. she was this, you know, it was, a, it was a tragedy that the world was deprived of these two young women and millions like them. But yeah, so I thought it was very well done. Um, but yes, it wasn't as dark and as gloomy as you may think. Yeah, it was done with a lightness of touch that made it. Because, made it because a, life still happens, even though, even though terrible things happen. Yeah, and even in the house, even in the annex, there's humour, there's joy, there's laughter. They bickered, and they, there's, they, their life was going on, even if, if within these four walls for two years. All right. Um, I need to ask you, how many stars? I would give it a four star. Okay. Four, four stars. Four stars. four stars for a small light. But then again, quite frankly, I think anything that has Belle Powley in it, I, she's yeah, one of those she, actresses who, who I, I trust. And I trust that if she's in it, it will not be rubbish. Yeah. <laughs> there will be and something. And Lee Schreiber as Otto Frank, he had the right touch of like this quiet humor. He was that quiet humor, that resilience, that compassion. Because after the war, you know, many, many, probably thousands of young girls wrote to him. And he wrote back to many, many, many of them. And you can see that, that he became like a father to many, didn't he? Yeah. That, that that compassion is there, even though he was like this strict, upright German of a man raised of his generation that you can tell that that's there but there's also that man who became like the father for many who was correspondent it's funny with Liv Schreiber I mean he's sort of like sneakily become one of the best actors on TV (laughs) (laughs) because the first time I ever came across him was in Scream 2 I think that's the first thing I remember seeing him in and then Elizabeth is just kind of like hang on hang on a second Liv Schreiber he's He's, he's good. <laughs> he's good. <laughs> right, okay, so now we're going to round up, and this final thing that we're going to talk about, I'm going to try and talk about this quickly, is Poker Face. <laughs> Poker Face, and this is on Now TV. Poker Face is a TV show that has been released in America for a while. We have been waiting for it in the UK because it was released on, um, we're talking about everybody having their own streaming platform after Netflix forced them, forced their hand. NBC in, in the States, if you know that they have a their logo is like a sort of peacock with all the different letters and the feathers and everything like that so they had a streaming service called peacock and this was on peacock in the in the states it never really came over peacock never really came over to the uk then it showed up in a kind of way in which peacock shows were showing up on sky and it was like sky peacock by sky it was jumbled nobody really knew what was going on it was a bit like when they had stars plays on amazon nobody nobody had a clue what that, what that thing was so I they I still have stars play by the way I think they've changed the name to Lionsgate Plus. I don't know. <laughs> and and there is um and so Peacock on Sky stopped, and then this show was stopped for a while. People were like, "Where the heck is this show?" Because it is written and directed, created by Ryan Johnson, who created Knives Out. He did the Knives Out movies, the Benoit Blanc movies. And this is essentially, it's a TV show. And the whole thing they knew about this, it was, it was going to be a weekly sort of detective procedural. And it stars Natasha Lyonne, who is, who some people might know from American Pie. It was the first I ever saw her. But she's done a lot of stuff over the years. She's done Russian Doll. She was in Orange is the New Black. And she's also an executive producer. So it's pretty much her and Ryan Johnson who created this thing. She plays a character, a character called Charlie, Charlie Kale. And when you first meet Charlie, Charlie is working in a Las Vegas casino. She's just like a drinks girl, like, you know, just walking around the sort of casino floor, serving people drinks in like a skimpy outfit and all that. 
and one day she gets called up to the to the to the um to the boss of the casino who it turns out is actually the son of the casino owner and she's like oh well i'm gonna get fired and she goes in there and she starts talking to him he's like oh you're gonna fire me right and it, it transpires that the way she ended up working in this casino is that she has this very very peculiar ability to instantly tell when somebody is lying to her so obviously she'd use that while playing poker made a whole bunch of money <laughs> and then the, oh, the casino owner had issues with this <laughs> so but there but it, it's there's a plot so this guy thinks if you have this ability he is convinced because she she produces she shows him yeah i can tell when you're lying i can tell when anybody's lying he so he comes up with this plot that she's going to be part of that's going to that's going to um use her abilities something goes wrong and then she ends up going on the run she ends up going on the run and every episode this episode this show makes no bones about the fact that it is inspired by colombo even the font that is used at the beginning looks like colombo if it wasn't for the fact that the camera was a better quality and it was widescreen you would think this was <laughs> you could think that this was made during the 80s when and you would expect peter falk to show up at any point in time like at so every episode is like its own self-contained episode, its own self-contained story. There's a very, very sort of like slight arc that carries on over the whole season. But every episode is pretty much you could you could pick up an episode and watch it on its own. You can see all the guest stars that they've managed to get to come to be in the show. It's like, oh my god, it's Nick Nolte. What is, where's he been doing? <laughs> <laughs> and it's and 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 so in each one of them they they do the whole colombo thing as well where at the beginning they tell you who they, they show you the murder they show you the crime they show you exactly what's happened they don't make any bones about that this is what's happened then you go and then it's about charlie figuring it out and she's not a detective but it's just because she has this thing and she has this almost thing where she can't let anything go so because she can't let anything go she's like no 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 no. this, this is a lie of it if this is what happened why why are you lying to me about that and so it's quite a nice little sort of conceit obviously they sort of go she has she's magic okay she can tell when you're lying just take that as red why don't go and try and explain that that's what she does and then they go into every episode and it's almost like a procedural each episode a standalone showing you how there's a case of the week and how she figures it out and how she ends up her life her life being intricate like into it as she travels across america and i really really like this i really really like this i think it's good i think a lot of it comes down to the style of it there's some episodes, there's one episode that's made and even from the beginning, when the music kicks off, the music is like something out of Psycho. It's like something out of Psycho or like, you know, these heightened San Francisco 1980s set um, tr- thrillers. And, and that episode is it's just heightened and it's all close-ups on the face and it's all like, you know, oh, histrionic acting. And so so that you can see them playing around with it and I think it's really, really good. I think Natasha Leone is really, really is brilliant as Charlie this is probably because i think Nat- natasha leo she has a bit of a shtick probably because of her voice because she always sounds a little bit like that you know even though she's probably only about 35 she 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 sounds like a 60 woman a 60 year old woman who has been smoking every single day since she was born <coughs> and, but and i, and I think it's that she, she sort of has this sort of like oh she's a bit she's a bit frumpy she doesn't really care about personal hygiene or anything like that that she does in almost all of her characters but i think in this one there is a little bit something else in there that I actually really like. And I like the interactions that she has between the different people that she meets each week and the way she goes about it and the way she goes about figuring out oh, that there was a crime that was committed here and actually figuring it and actually solving that solving that crime was good. Oh, Ellen Barkin. Ellen Barkin shows up in an episode. It has a brilliant, brilliant supporting cast. 
I really like Poker Face. I would give it a four out of five. I would say go watch it before there is some other contractual dispute that means that we can't watch it in the UK or your passport gets taken away from you so you can't watch it. Go watch Poker Face because there's 10 episodes, um, an hour each, and um, well worth your while. And you can you can almost watch them in... There are a couple of things that wouldn't make sense if you didn't watch them in sequence. But quite frankly, you can watch, each, you can watch any episode um, out of sequence and you will still understand most of them apart from... Apart from 1, 9, and 10. <laughs> Apart from 1, 9, and 10. All right, cool. So that is it. Four stars for Poker Face. Any questions? Sounds fun. All oh. right. Cool. So in that case, the only thing I have is a question for you. Who do you think has won this week? Hmm. Netflix or Netflix cinema? Netflix and friends. <laughs> <laughs> Netflix and cinema. Yes, it's Netflix and cinema's friends. I mean, I could have gone to watch Fast and Furious 10. I could have gone that... I don't think it would have helped cinemas lots much. <laughs> I think I it might think have it, done the opposite. I don't think it would have helped cinemas lot much. Lot. Because, uh, but anyway, uh, but I will reserve my rant about, I've already had my Disney rant. I'll reserve my Fast and Furious rant for, <laughs> for, when, for, for when I finally do watch that. And I'll just sit back and let Sean go, yes, Dos, yes, come to the dark side, come to the dark side. Because he hates that. But anyway, until... Sorry, I'm question. just going to say I'm going to, going to continue to wait for them to do an actual Hans Christian Andersen true version of The Little Mermaid. I don't think I want to watch that. No, nor do I, but I want them to make it. <laughs> well, but that, yeah, but who's going to watch that? Nobody wants to watch that. <laughs> it's, like, it's like, here, have this really, have this, have this um, a film that cannot be anything but depressing. Yes. Quite frankly, it, it just, that's just the way it is. Hans Christian Andersen, it cannot be anything but depressing. Have that. Or... Singing Crab, Under the Sea, Calypso Music. Which one are you going to watch? <laughs> I'm sorry. But... I grant you the Singing Crab is more fun. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm there for the Singing Crab every single time. I'm sorry, but that's, that's the way. All right, cool. So until next week, when we shall be... Well, I am going to attempt to watch Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, which is out today. Sharon, don't worry. I know animated. You don't need to watch that. But but the last one was probably one of the best Spider-Man movies ever. And I the, this new one looks like it's going to be inventive, everything like that. So I'm going to be at until next week when I shall be attempting to watch um, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. So goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Goodbye from me. Thank you very much for joining us. Goodbye.